I would ask you now to turn to the book of Ephesians. I don't remember what, where it is in your blue Bibles. Just know it's about right there if you don't have a Bible. If you're on a phone, it's EPH. Press that and f- five, and then you're, then you're good to go. Ephesians chapter five, and then we're going to be beginning at verse 15. But uh, one of the truths that I wish I would have learned earlier in life is simply this. It's to live life to its fullest. Now, before you jump to a conclusion that you're going, oh, what are you talking about living life life to its fullest? I'm not talking about more travel. I'm not talking about experiencing different cultures. I'm not talking about eating different foods. I've been blessed to be able to, to go places I never thought I would go. But I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about this. I'm talking about living life purposely. Raise your hand, and don't raise it too high because you're going to block the view of the neighbor behind you. How many of you have just lived life and just kind of looked forward to the next day, the next weekend, the next month, and you just keep going and going and going and going and never stop to think, Lord, what do you want from me? I'm talking about having a life that counts for something that will last. And I would hope that you would want that to be for you as well. Okay, so a lot of you guys are younger than I am. A lot of you are. A lot of you are older too. You might say to yourself, you know what, I've got time. I've got time. I'll get to it someday. I'll, I'm just going to live my life now. I'll get to it someday. But you can do anything on the Internet. It's, it's amazing. And according to the calculations for this morning, this is how long I've been on this earth. All right? I've lived outside my mother's womb for 22,900 days. That's a lot of days. I ran out of toes and fingers counting that high, believe me. 549,600 hours. Let that sink in. Some of you have lived longer, but much of you, some, some less. But listen to the words from Psalm 90. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but a toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Now, Moses wrote that psalm. Moses lived to be 120 years of age. Methuselah, and I'm sure Methuselah would agree, he lived 969. He would agree with the Lord's Jesus' earthly brother, James, who wrote this. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes a fog, like I like to say, like a fog on a December day, 
It's there and then it's gone. Now, James didn't write this to frighten. Moses didn't write this to frighten. It was written to enlighten us. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus from a prison. He wrote from a prison. And Paul's enemies, he wrote in Philippians, were glad they were preaching the gospel out of envy. They thought that he was in jail, and they go, ha, ha, we're doing more than you are, or we're preaching the gospel and you're not. Well, he was put in jail so he would write these letters that we're still reading today. Do you think that he would have stopped? Don't give me time to write. God had to put a daggum hold on him. We're still reading it today. Two millennia past. Well, the first half of the letter of, to the Ephesians explained the salvation, God's master plan of salvation. And in the second half, Paul wrote, now, because of the first half, because of what God has done, this is what you need to do. This is how you must live. In chapter 4, he explained in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk worthy of that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Walk is a Hebrew expression. It's known also as an idiom. It means live this way. Live this way. We're commanded to live this way because we are new creatures in Christ. We're not dead anymore. He told us in verse 3 to walk in unity. In verse 17 of chapter 4, he tells us to live in holiness, to walk in holiness, not, not, not like the pagans. Then in the beginning of chapter 5, we're commanded to walk in love and then to walk in light. And in our passage today, we're challenged that we need to be living a life of wisdom. It's living life with a purpose. Living a life of wisdom. If you would, would you, would you stand with me as I read from Ephesians chapter 5? Beginning at verse 15, this is the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. May God bless the reading of His Word. And may we live lives that are wise, which we can only do through the power of His Spirit working within us. Please be seated. Well, the question is then, how are we to go about living a life of wisdom? 
I just spoke it, but we need to understand how we do it. Well, it begins with how we're called to live. It's the believer's walk. There are going to be a bunch of W's this, this message. Some of them, I'm going to admit, they're far-fetched. Not what I'm preaching, but just the, the alliteration. I'm sorry, I, I tried to, you know, be, be smart. I proved I was a fool. But anyway, it's the believer's walk. Have you ever heard the saying, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it every time? There must be a goal. There has to be a purpose or we'll never achieve what you could have done or if, if what the purpose or what the purpose was, you did what you did. If we just go out and live, if we just go out and do whatever we want to do, if we just go out even good things without thinking, without a plan. It's not good. The wise person must be purposeful. Verse 15 tells us, look carefully then how you walk. Again, remember how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. It means pay close attention to your day-to-day life. Pay close attention Live with purpose. When you walk outside, live with purpose. Understand who you are. Three words. Have a plan. Have a plan. A wise man marks marks out his course and sets his sails and guides his rudder until he reaches his destination. But hear me, there's much more to this than having an earthly plan. Many people have business plans. Many people have, they have, when they go to get a loan, they have to have a business plan to get a certain loan. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living purposely, wisely for God. Live as someone who is wise. Well, how is wisdom defined? Because we often think, well, wisdom, if you're just, it means you have an IIQ. No, that doesn't mean that at all. It's not just knowing and understanding the facts. Many of us, it's, many of us know or have known some very intelligent people in our life. You know, those people who have the 4.5 GPAs, Elizabeth Williams, and, and higher. I'm not calling you a fool by any reason. I'm just, this girl, good job, girl. Good job. GPAs over four. Photographic memories. I hate them already. <laughs> Possibly even very talented in their fields of expertise, but they live lives foolishly. Now, what do you mean by foolishly? Well, biblical wisdom, the wisdom that Paul's speaking of and the Bible refers to throughout its pages is defined, and I quote, as a skilled and sensible approach to life. It's living by God's standards. It's understanding what He demands from His people in the Word. He demands from every person. Proverbs 9.10 declares, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The first third of the book of Proverbs, it pictures Wisdom, lady wisdom, 
crying out in the streets, in the marketplace, come get wisdom, come to me, come to me, come to me. Calling to anybody who would hear her. But many times they don't. The New Testament, in the New Testament, the so-called wisdom of the Greeks is shunned. It would be for us the wisdom of the world. Live for today. Get all you can. Now is the only time. Live for today. That's it. It's shunned abound. Paul calls it foolishness. He wrote, but we preach Christ crucified, the gospel, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Well, then how do we walk wisely? Determined to consciously walk in the way of the gospel? It's Christ. Watch where you place your steps. Because if you don't watch, you're going to step on things. Live your life according to the Word of God. Hear me. Hear me. You do not own yourself anymore if you are a believer. You've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed. You are Christ. You're His slaves. Do what He calls you to do. We've discussed the believer's walk and now the believer's watch. And by watch, I mean our awareness. Watch what is happening. Be aware of what's happening around you. And here Paul implores in verse 16 to make your life count. Don't live 50, 60 years and then die and have it mean nothing. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The old King James translates it this way, redeeming the time. It's the same word that's used in purchasing a field. And I would ask you, not many in this room have enough money to just go make a real estate investment and not check out what they're buying. It is a huge purchase. You look and see. You pay attention to what you're buying, and that's what he's talking about here. Time. Time, it's priceless. You can never buy it back. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. You can't make it back up. That's one of the reasons we need to pay attention, but why should we be aware of how we use our time? Because the days are evil. Remember, we live in an evil world that is following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. One only needs to look at the news to know the days are evil. 
One only needs to walk outside to know that. Now think with me. Is a life of leisure and opulent living the best use of a Christ follower's time? Are you just living so you can retire and then buy? Are you just living to have a bigger house, have a faster car? We're not called to do that, brothers and sisters. But please understand what I'm saying as well. I'm not speaking against a vacation. I'm not speaking about a time with, that you can spend with family and friends and a time to relax. I'm not speaking about that at all. It's okay to smell the roses every once in a while. But I'm speaking about a lifestyle that puts me first, others second, and God being one of the others second. best use of your time doesn't involve hiding from the world either. Don't live in a place where you're just going to put up block walls and alarm systems and keep the world out. That's not good use of your time. Because remember, walking wisely includes being a part of the gospel proclamation wherever you have been planted. Living a life of wisdom means to make the most out of the time that you're given. No. Is it easy? No, not always easy. But is it possible? Yes, because God doesn't call you to do anything that he has not given you the ability to be able to do with him working with you. He doesn't ask the impossible. We must have him guiding us or we'll fall flat. Now, can it be inconvenient? Think with me. And I say, oh, do I really? Yes, it can be. Oftentimes it is. A friend needing to talk. But I had this to do. But a friend needed to talk. A child with a problem. Lending a hand to someone who's in need. And speaking of evil days, I mean, we heard Tom speak of this. But in my lifetime in the United States, I don't think there's been a more, more darker or hostile days than we face right now. And it's not getting better. The Bible teaches that in the last days that wickedness will run rampant with the hearts of many becoming cold. That's the bad news. But church, there's opportunity for us to live as light. Because the darker it is around you, the more the light shines. The bigger, the bigger obstacles that the world throws at us, that throws at a believer, Christ will be on display, and His light, who is us, that will shine the darkest. Determine to make the most, the biggest use of your time. Well, we've studied the believer's walk, their watch, and now the believer's wisdom. You know, I was thinking back. When I started in 2001, 
which was a long time ago, and it went through, oh shoot, all the way to 2015. One of the most common questions I'm talking about when I was a youth pastor, one of the most common questions that I ever had, what is God's will for my life? You have to know my, my, my uh, filter had to work especially hard because I could be very condescending. It was, I had some fun, but what's God's will for my life? Should I, what school should I go to? Should I play a sport? What, what kind of job should I go for after, after, I, gr- after I grow up? What electives should I take? Well, they're all important questions. They really are, but that isn't what our text is talking about. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, we had wisdom discussed for us or defined for us. How is a fool described? In the book of Proverbs, they love to do wrong. The fool despises good counsel. They're lazy. Their tongues wag. That means they go all the time. They lie. They slander. They quarrel. And to top it off, they're proud. That's how a fool's defined. A fool basically refuses to depend or even consider that they need God. I don't need you. I'm good on my own. That's a fool. Believers don't return to that senseless, the senseless ways of the past instead of acting foolishly. Discern what the will of God is. And the hard part of this, it takes work because it can be different for different people. Now, we're all called, we understand We're not supposed to lie. We're not supposed to cheat. We're not supposed to go with people who do that. But God's will for me to do something is not the same as it is for Harry Courtney. There are good things that both of us can do, but it might not be the best use of my time to go do what Harry does. It's not to Harry's purpose or him to be wise to do what I do. We must reason what we should do. A good way to do that is many godly counselors. Have some friends. Ask them. Have them give you advice. But each person needs to hear from the Lord, and it comes from understanding His written Word. We have to be in the Scriptures because that gives us guidelines. That keeps us within the rails In the context of Ephesians, godly wisdom is the master plan of salvation. Understanding what you've been made alive, that you've been made alive, you've been changed, you've been adopted into the Father's family. Hear what was written in chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. In Him, Christ, 
We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Christ saved you. And it must be appropriated. Wisdom must be appropriated for yourself. It is revealed, though, in Jesus, and it makes a difference in your day-to-day living. Make no mistake. It makes a difference. There are many good things, but not all good things are the right things. Determine what the will of God, who, what God has for you, to do. Well, we've seen the believers walk, the watch, the wisdom in keeping with the W's. It's a stretch. The believer's welfare. What I'm talking about welfare is well-being. Their well-being. To be able to live a life of wisdom, we must do what is commanded in this verse. I should say the second half of the verse, but the first half is a command as well. Often the first half of this verse is used as a prohibition against drinking of alcohol. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now make no mistake, the abuse of alcohol is forbidden in the Scriptures, but not the use. Abuse was a danger in the early church just as it is today. Things are now as they were then. And just to understand that, those who are elders in Ephesians 3, what are, what are some of the prohibitions? They're called not to be a drunkard. In Titus as well, do not be a drunkard. Deacons are said, do not be addicted to much wine. In Titus, where the men have been studying the Word of God tells us older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. Notice it didn't say anything, any wine, but it said much. Do not overindulge. The most succinct uh, passage in the Scriptures, and I, I'm going to read it to you, is found in Proverbs 29 because it warns against this foolish behavior. Proverbs 29, or excuse me, 23, 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? My translation, the answer, those who tarry long over wine, those who do who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, beat me, but I did not feel it. 
when shall I awake? I must have another drink. Getting drunk is associated with debauchery. It's the idea of unrestrained living. It's the continual habit of this and this practice. This continual habit and practice keeps one from being a part of the children of, a, of the kingdom of God. It's in the list. Jesus' story of the prodigal son has the same idea. He lived in riotous, debaucherous living. The prodigal, he left, he did everything, he, he spent all his money, he spent it on wine, women, and songs, and then he came to his senses and came back. What did the father do? The father ran to him when the son took that step back. He was accepted. So will one who turns to God now. Turn to God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as William Hendrickson writes, he says, the real remedy for sinful inebriation is given. It is a much better source of acceleration. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Hendrickson continues, being filled with the Spirit will enrich you with precious spiritual treasures, lasting joy, deep insight, and inner satisfaction. Being filled will sharpen your faculties for the perception of His divine will. I need, I need that. Now understand, the Christian is no longer dead. I know I go over this and over and over. We're no longer dead, but alive. We're no longer darkness, but light. No longer foolish, walking foolishly, but wisely. No longer controlled by wine, but controlled, filled by the Spirit. That's what filled by the Spirit means, controlled by. Just as wine controls the entire body, the Spirit should control your entire body. Now, being filled with the Spirit is not the same as being baptized by the Spirit. I want to make sure that we understand that. Everyone who is a believer has been baptized by the Spirit. When you made a profession of faith, when Christ brought you from death to life, you were baptized by the Spirit. You were covered. At the moment of salvation, you were indwelt and you were sealed by the Spirit. This command means to be made full, to cause to abound, to fill to the brim so nothing else is wanting. It's water going into a cup and it's overflowing. We're leaky but He will continue to fill you, and you are commanded to be filled. It means to be under the Spirit's influence. Take that as you will. Instead of being under the influence of alcohol, you need to be under the influence of the Spirit. When fullness happens, 
We'll speak boldly for Christ in ways we wouldn't do normally. Notice the double entendre in all of these. We'll speak when we're filled with the Spirit in ways we wouldn't do normally. When we're filled with the Spirit, we'll love others that in our own strength would be repugnant to us. When we're filled with the Spirit, we'll speak boldly for Christ. We'll do things that we would not normally do because He's guiding us. Lastly, when being filled with the Spirit, it will not only bring joy and enlightenment, allowing us to understand the will of God, but it also dictates the believer's worship. Just so you know, verse, verses 18 to 21 are, it's one big sentence. It's one giant sentence. In the, in the Greek language, there are no commas, there are no periods here. It is one big giant sentence. So when being, being when you're filled with the, with the Spirit, it dictates the believer's worship. Well, what's it do? It brings gratitude. Because we're filled with the Spirit, we have gratitude. When we think about what God has done and is doing and will do, we can't help but give Him praise. Well, in, in what way does this worship take place? Well, first, corporately. Corporately. It's more than a personal activity. That's why it is so good to be in the house of the Lord with other believers. We miss so much when we're not here. Why? Because we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. A Spirit-filled Christ follower speaks and sings so others benefit from their words. Well, how so? The first century songbook, how did they speak? Just what it says. The 150 psalms in the psalms, that was their, that was their, their book. That was their worship manual. That's what they spoke from. That's what they sang from. Yes, they sang and they spoke the Scriptures. They also sang hymns. What were those? New Testament praise songs. Songs of praise, the, the equivalent to, to our praise songs, along with the catalog of old familiar hymns. And spiritual songs, what were those? Sacred songs that sang about doctrine, the truth of God. Joel and worship committee, we do a very good job at that. Thank you. And so I don't leave the instrumentalists out. This verse covers you too, making melody. Who should worship? All! Everyone! Not just people with good voices. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. 
We sing, we make melody, and with a Spirit-filled believer, they also live lives that include giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving is a grateful acknowledgement of the gifts received. Do you know that each one of you have received a gift this morning? Each one of you woke up to see the sun. Each one of you have taken a breath, many of them, since I began this speaking today. What other gifts have we received? Do we need a reminder? Just read Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. There are many gifts in there, and they bring out thanksgiving. And how often should we do this? How often should we give thanks? Always. Do you know what thanksgiving accomplishes? It takes the focus off of us and puts it on the giver. When we're giving thanks for all things, when all the spiritual and physical gifts provided, worries tend to disappear. That should be worth something right there. Worries tend to disappear when we give thanks. Complaints vanish. Courage to face whatever the future hold increases. Virtuous resolutions are formed. Peace is experienced. And greatest of all, God is glorified. That's a win, 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 win. But it also says giving thanks for everything. That can be difficult. But is it a suggestion? No, it's not. It's a command. Does this mean that we give thanks for evil? No. But we give thanks to God for His sovereignty, for allowing what we consider bad things to happen because everything that is happening to us that He allows to go through His fingers, that He filters, is conforming you to the image of His Son. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Finally, a Spirit-filled believer worships the Lord not only by singing, they do that, making melody in their hearts, they do that, by giving thanks to God the Father and by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We all have to submit to somebody. Submitting is a military term that, that means to arrange under, to yield to, or to obey. And hear me, brothers and sisters, it is a vital part of worship. In the next section of this book, which begins in verse 22 and ends at chapter 6, verse 9, we'll understand this more deeply. We spoke about the parent-child relationship a few weeks back, how a child submits to their parents. In two weeks, God willing, 
the relationship between a husband and wife, and the following week, slaves and masters. You know, I'm not telling anybody anything that they don't know. We often have a problem with submission, don't we? But it's the will of God for our lives. We will never effectively or appropriately, for that matter, worship God until we learn to submit to His Word, even to the parts that we do not feel that we really want to submit to. And to submit, this means it includes those who He has placed over us. What's the underlying idea about the, the command to submit? We have an obligation to each other. Just like our Savior, when He washed the feet of the disciples, we must be willing to be the least. That's a part of what a Spirit-filled worshiper does. And to do this, it gives Christ honor. To do all of these things, the five W's, is truly living a life of wisdom. We can only do that through the Spirit of God working through us. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you and we thank you for your word and even the hard ones. But Lord God, it's, I would say it is the most refreshing part of living is to be able to, to submit to you and to be filled with your spirit to be able to live a life that is pleasing to you. And that is wise. May you help us do just that. Accept our worship, Lord God, as we sing to you, but also as we live lives that submit to you. I pray these things in your Son, Jesus' name, who makes it all available for us. Amen.